Welcome to the London Welsh Rugby Club podcast. This is our third special episode. After last week's episode with Lynn Jones, I thought I was going to take a break, but decided when special guests become available to interview, I should take them. For this week's guest, I had to delve into my black book of contacts. I felt it only right that we get to interview the form referee in World Rugby and someone who has had some great and not so great memories of refereeing London Welsh on his refereeing journey. And yes, we chat about that Saracens match in the Premiership. For those who listen to this podcast on a regular basis, they will know I am a community referee and it's something I love to do. We chat a bit about the fitness demands on top referees, what it's been like to referee during the pandemic, and how it felt to be in charge of the Grand Slam decider in Paris for France versus Wales in the Six Nations. We also discuss the community game and how important referees are to the growth of the game, how we learn from the top referees and how they go about their job. I would also like to thank our guest today for his honesty and for giving up his time to speak to the London Welsh Rugby Club podcast. Our guest this week is Luke Pierce. Enjoy. Welcome to our podcast, top premiership and international referee, Luke Pierce. How are you, Luke? Very good, thank you. Good stuff. Now, it's been a busy time. I obviously appreciate you doing this podcast. You're a busy man and you've been busy of late with premiership and European reaching its climax. It's hard work being a ref, isn't it? Uh, it can be. I'm sure people will have a different view on, on how hard we work. But yeah, it's um, to do the job properly, it's, it's a pretty 24-7 role these days. Um, we were in Twickenham this week on Monday and Tuesday, getting back late Tuesday night. So quite nice to have quite a down day today. So pleasure to speak to you tonight. Now, Gustav, actually, just elaborate on that in a second, because um, it's, it's obviously been a challenging time for lots of people during the pandemic. But um, how has that affected sort of your preparation and how about all the testing and sort of COVID protocols? Has that affected your um, enjoyment of refereeing the game? Um, no, it certainly was a big change. Uh, shift and a change really when, when we restarted back in August last year getting used to the whole testing protocol um, was, was took a little while to settle in you know like with everyone it did but it's funny you know we're what a year into the whole thing we're probably eight months into the restart in rugby and I think rugby can look back on itself and take a big uh, slap on the back for carrying on the sport uh, because it's given a lot of people a hell of a lot of enjoyment at home where they can't go anywhere um, and, and the rugby, and I'm, I hope I'm not being biased, but the rugby since the new year certainly took a turn for the best. And we've seen some brilliant attacking rugby. And, you know, only last weekend seeing a 90-odd point match. It's um, it's certainly different. Um, you know, the, um, it's, it's obviously disappointing. No crowd are there to enjoy it at the moment, but hopefully we're not too far off that return. And Yeah, it, it is significantly different, um, but it's something that I think we've all classed ourselves lucky to remain in a job at the moment let alone um, in, a, in a sport industry where it relies on the, on the revenue stream from, from the pay in public. So, yeah, it, it, it's very different, but certainly something we'll look back on and, and hopefully will never happen again. You know, fingers crossed. But obviously officiating with no crowds is, is different because you hear more now from the players and the coaches and, they, and your communication is probably a lot clearer because they can hear you as well. Have you, have you noticed that difference? Yeah, definitely. And, and one of the big things we've noticed as a, as a group of refs is the um, production that's shown on the television is significantly different to how it feels in the stadium. 
you know, with the can noise in the background, with the um, with and, and you know the, the commentary and the replays and the production that you get to watch when you're sat on your sofa at home. When you're in the stadium, obviously you don't get any of that, and it is silent apart from the noise of the players and, and some of the coaches in the stand. So that that's a major difference. Um, you know, you've only got to look at big decisions, which we've seen a few of recently, and 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 how we're managing ourselves to review those in comparison to when there are you know tens and sometimes hundreds of thousands of people watching it. So it definitely is different, um, but it's the reason that we all love going to rugby and watching rugby or refereeing or playing rugby at the top end is partly due to the crowd. Um, and, and the sooner that returns, then obviously the better. Yeah, well, hopefully after next weekend, we've got a few, you know, a few bits of crowd coming, haven't we? So, um, but I take it, do you, do you have to stay in a bubble of match officials for each match? And then one of the joys of rugby is mixing post-match, but that I take it that just, just doesn't happen now, does it? No, pretty sad events at the moment. You know, we, we, we test the same um, process as the players do. Clearly, the players are slightly easier to manage in their bubble because they travel together. We're all coming from different parts of the country. Um, and then once we are in, are in the stadium, we're clearly social distance stuff all through the changing rooms. Um, and we're not even allowed to eat together post-game. So it's straight on the road and, and back home, which is, you know, that's that takes away a major part of the job. A major part of our job is to try and be that 13th team in the Premiership. Um, and it, it makes that challenging. And when you can't get that close bondness as a team, as anybody will know that, it makes the job even harder when the job is, is pretty tough at the moment. Um, so, but look, like you said, we're, we're heading in the right direction. Things are, are getting there. We've manoeuvred our way through a pretty challenging season, both on and off the pitch. So we've got, what, three rounds or four rounds left in the Premiership, um, knockouts rugby to come, and, and hopefully a hell of a Lions tour in July. And, and by the time September comes back around, we'll be close to, something looks like normal you know fingers crossed and community rugby can resume because obviously community rugby has suffered with no, no games being played you know at that level so for 18, 18 months but look you mentioned earlier around um being a twicken on monday tuesday because the life of a ref is is quite challenging and you say it's 24 7 because you could have a game on a, a game across the weekend plus possibly a tmo or ar and then you have to be a twickenham monday and tuesday to review your your games together because you, you, there's a lot of like self-awareness and self-reviews plus you do lots of fitness to maintain your fitness so you can operate um, at the highest level is that right yeah it is yeah I mean again pre-covid we were there every Monday and Tuesday post premiership rounds I mean that's a very consistent process which we've been doing for the best part of five years now under under Tony Spreadbury's management um, and that's obviously brought us on leaps and bounds. You know, I think there's a huge, huge difference when I started the job 11 years ago to where we are now. Sadly, because of the COVID situation, um, not just budget reasons, but also, you know, logistical reasons like hotels not being open. We haven't been able to do that for the best part of the season. But it was really good this week that we managed to get up this Monday and Tuesday um, to, to all catch up, train together, like you say, review, which which we do. And we have been doing thoroughly anyway with the joy of all this online stuff. Um, but there's nothing like, you know, training with, with your mates and working alongside because as much as we like to think that we all take part in teams or Zoom calls and we're all contributing as much as we do normally, it's a totally different vibe and, and a different atmosphere when you're, when you're in a meeting room and you're looking at clips and there's a, I feel like a much better discussion takes place, um, which can only be a good thing in our job because clearly we don't get everything right. Um, and it's trying to make sure that we help each other out when certain examples keep happening or or rare examples happen and, and could happen again. So, and of course, we miss the socialising as well. You know, there's nothing like having a pint with your mates <laughs> on a Monday night. Sadly, we don't we don't get that Saturday night feeling that a lot of 
um, community and club players do. You know, I've got great memories of Old Deer Park and back in the day and sticking around, having a few beers and a bite to eat and then getting the train home. You know, we, we don't kind of get that anymore at the top end, which is which is a bit sad. Um, but we do get to have a, a beer or two on a Monday night with, with each other's company and making sure that while we crack on with the professional side, that we enjoy each other's company as well, which is obviously so important. I take it if you're having a beer on a Monday night, all the sort of fitness testing is done on a Monday then. So, because uh, you hear about all no, this. No, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, to, to be fair, we, Alex Reed is our, is our conditioner. Um, no, that, it's, I think it's a general mix, isn't it? You know, we, we, one thing that we do ensure, and, and it happened this uh, week just gone, is, you know, we, we made sure that um, we, we enjoyed each other's company that Monday night, but we're all back in the gym then at half past nine on a Tuesday. And whilst um, some of those sessions are tougher than others on a different Tuesday, it's making sure we got that balance right, um, and we're certainly trying. You know, we've we've definitely got there, and it's a, it's a it's a pleasure to come to Twickenham on a on a Monday and Tuesday rather than the shore. That's for sure. Yeah, sure, and obviously the you know the referees has the fitness test in terms of the Bronco test, and just to explain to our listeners, the Bronco test is like an up to date bleep test where you know certain times I think um, Bowden Barris got the record of about four minutes and twelve, which is running one point two kilometers, so back and forth. And then people at my level need to do it in six minutes. But imagine at your level, it's about 4.45 or something like that. Is that, is that sort of standards you're looking yeah, at? Yeah, I think I'll go with 4.45, Gareth. Um, yeah. some, of the lads, some of the lads are ridiculously fit in our group and are, are running it around in under 4.30s. Um, but, you know, if, if you're getting close to 4.45 and under five minutes, it's pretty respectable. Yeah. Um, especially seeing the season feels like it's been going on for about three years. If we're still running at this point of the season, it isn't achieving, let alone itself. No, no, you certainly keep yourselves fit. Look, and, and also, I suppose, in terms of outside of rugby, has the pandemic affected your, like, you, you know, I don't know if you uh, work elsewhere, because some referees do work, or you might be um, an entrepreneur or something like that. What else do you do, Luke? No, I wish I was a, um, I wish I'd, I could make it sound more intelligent than I am. I, I do run a very small coffee business with a friend down here um, in Exeter, which um, is very small, it's very new. Um, but we're getting there slow steps. I mean, it's never going to make us millions, but it's an enjoyable thing. And one thing that lockdown has enabled us to do is put more time and effort into that. You know, if, I think I speak for a lot of people when say that we missed talking to people um, as much as my wife and child and dog, a great company in the house for eight months, just watching Netflix every night got a bit tedious. So to get out there and just chat to nice people in the sunshine, which there was lots of last year, um, was was real enjoyment. So, yeah, let it, it's one of those things, isn't it? And I'm sure, like I said earlier, we'll look back in years to come and think, my God, what, what on earth happened for that 12, 18 months? But things are on the up, things are positive, and, and I'm, I'm a more positive person than um, than I'd like to think, and, and hopefully we're, we're on the right end of it now. Oh, it's good, it's good you had to have something outside of rugby to focus your mind on, outside your family as well, To and you've got a business to grow now. So it's a, the life's yeah. about juggling and juggling your priorities look i just want to explain to our audience how we managed to get in touch because people might be thinking how do you get like you know luke on, on the podcast gareth but obviously i think you responded to a tweet from ed jackson about a match that you had refereed and he was participating <laughs> in and then i think i think through on the london welsh account saying do you fancy refereeing a london welsh match and you you know came back and said i would love to referee at london welsh again love being at old Deer park so we'd agreed to do the st david's day women's match which when we had a, a lunch afterwards and you'd have been a guest to that but unfortunately, you were called away for additional premiership duties at Irish that weekend. So our women will have to wait another day. But obviously, that just shows that, you know, how much you value, you know, our club, but also community rugby and helping out. Do you still get to do a lot of that in, in Devon and stuff? Definitely. And, and, we, and I try to do as much as I can. Um, I know the group 
uh, at Twickenham, we try and do as much as we can as well. Obviously, as as you said, with the with the one with the last year proved a bit tricky because we only get told where we're going on a Monday or Tuesday because um, obviously it's dependent on the performance. And if if someone um, has a pretty difficult experience on the weekend before, it might be safer to withdraw that ref from the following weekend. Um, the same as players. It's exactly the same kind of process. So we only find out Monday or Tuesday. And obviously that has a knock-on effect then for the following weekend. And it's pretty hard to plan. Um, but it's so important that that we, we we do our bit and enjoy where we came from. Because, you know, I was only driving through some of the rural streets down in Exeter today towards Crediton. And um, I, said to, I said to my mum, actually, I was weird that I remember going on a moped down to Crediton to referee one of the first games years and years ago. Um, thank God it wasn't pouring with rain like it was this morning. But, you know, it's so important that we remember um, exactly where you started because, you know, we're very privileged. And, and yeah, we'll moan on occasions about the travel. And yes, we'll complain about the amount of grief we get. I think everyone moans a part of their job at some point. But it's so important to remember that there are only nine of us who are full-timers. Um, there are a lot of people that would love to be. So we can't, you know, we can't rest on our laurels and we must appreciate that opportunity that we've been given. Um, but also, it's way more fun sometimes going back to a local club and going to a clubhouse and chatting with the old third team props who have, you know, live at the bar and to the people who run the run the kitchen and 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 the club people that there's so many of up and down the country because that's what really makes rugby and that's why probably everyone got involved in the first place. Um, you know, do I do I love getting screamed and yelled at in some games? Um, of course not. That's part of the job. That you know what what I love no more is 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 going to local clubs in Devon, you know, Columpton, Exeter, Saracens, Topsham, and, and enjoying a few pints and watching some proper local rugby. Um, there don't seem to be half as many issues at local rugby as there are at senior rugby, which is relatively um, cheerful to, to watch, but that's one of those things, I guess. I suppose, you know, the people you're refereeing, it's their, it's their job, isn't it, you know, in their careers, mm. and whilst, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a social thing um, at the community level. Whilst people, some people will take it seriously, which and they can do, which is absolutely fine, you know, it's it's there for everyone's enjoyment, and that's why they're part of a club. And actually, you you talk about you know extra and where you grew up. So we can come on to your sort of refereeing journey. But did, you must have played rugby at some point, Luke, and then decided to be a referee. But did you play uh, in Devon when you were growing up? Yeah, so I I grew up in Exeter and played locally. Um, played for my local club, Exeter Saracens, and then um, played at college and like everyone does. I guess they you, you know when you hit your kind of peak of playing. Sadly, my peak of playing was at under 16s. Um, and I, I chose then to, my dad was a referee and the long story short is that I used to follow him around a lot, having nowhere else to go on a Saturday because mum was at work. So I kind of knew what the job kind of entailed, um, but not for one moment did I think it would become a career. Um, and I was just, that was just a lucky a lucky thing, I guess, of being the right time, the right place and, and, and having someone to, to push you through the system a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I, I miss the playing. I certainly don't miss the rough and the tumble. You know, Barnsley does a game every year in Gloucester for charity. And I think that's one time I ever put my boots back on and try and have a knockabout. And as the lads will testify, I'm absolutely useless. Um, all the endeavour in the world, but just end up getting smashed in the face and going backwards, which, which isn't great. But there we go. That's partly the reason why I blow the whistle. But you say, you say you're useless, but you did captain the Welsh Exiles at under 16. Is that, is that right? Yeah, it's actually my first experience of going to Old Deer Park. Um, my parents uh, grew up in Pontypool in South Wales. And um, when I was, at, I think I was playing somewhere in uh, in Devon and I think the local Welsh exiled coach came along and was chatting to, to my old man and realised the connection. And 
and and yeah, invited me for a couple of games up at, at Old Year Park, and yeah, it's great to represent something different. Um, was it was it international honours? <laughs> I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I I still brag on to the lads that I was part of the Daily Mail winning squad for Exeter College at uh, at Twickenham. Um, what I don't let on is that I actually ran the water on as a, as, a, as a 24th man, but they don't need to know that. So it's always a team effort, Luke, isn't it? It's lovely. <laughs> exactly. So, so at 16, you joined De- the Devon Referee Society. Mm-hmm. So you want to be a referee because you just mentioned your father, father was there, but it only took you five years to get on the RFU national panel. That's, you know, that's um, you know, very quick. And also, um, you know, I'd like to understand what those first few years were like in re- refereeing you know, um, men's rugby in, in Devon, which is obviously in Devon and Cornwall, they, they love their rugby, don't they? Yeah, bloody hard to be honest. Like, because when you're a young lad and you're refereeing people who are significantly older, the, the standard of rugby doesn't really matter because management is the key part at every level. But even more so when you're doing, you know, a, a second, third team and, and some teams are putting 40 points on others because the level's are so different. So learning that management at, at 15, 16, you know, as, as, as good as you think you are, you've really not experienced a great deal of that kind of um, work. So... That was that was the hardest part of, of my development, I guess, is just getting out there, refereeing, di- different experiences. And and like everyone will know, you know, everyone watches rugby, no two games are the same. One can be a doddle and, and you come off thinking, well, I was bloody good with that. Um, and the next thing is you think you're doing all right. And all of a sudden something happens you have never seen before. You get it wrong. And, you know, everyone's thinking, well, what's the ref cause that for? And it's part of the job and that's part of the development. But it, it, it certainly isn't an easy thing. But enjoyable at the same time and I guess that's the reason I kept coming back you know it's a voluntary thing as you said earlier Gareth and if you didn't enjoy it then there's an option not to go back and I think fortunately in rugby most people do enjoy it and and do end up back in the clubhouse after a game. I think the, the difference is I suppose is the respect that the officials get in rugby I think over other sports and I think that really helps a, a young lad you know coming coming through the ranks you think gosh you know he, he you know you're 18 19 refereeing state level five four that's like, you know, they must realise that you're, you know, they're lucky to have someone of that ability coming up and, and taking those matches, really. Yeah, and, and also, but you've got to show the you've got to show the respect to the players, regardless of the level. So my dog's going berserk here because he's just said my wife come back in. Um, <laughs> go and sit down, please. You can see I've got the respect of my dog as much as I have the players on the pitch. Um, yeah, you've got to show the respect to the players because you've got to be seen to want to learn as well. Um, because if you go in as a young lad thinking that you know everything about it, regardless of the level it's going to you're going to fall flat on your face because one thing I always remember doing at, at local meetings as well you're dealing with people who are um, and you're sharing experiences with people who are in very well respected jobs you know I remember going to one meeting um, where we had one um, paramedic we had one solicitor we had a doctor in the room a policeman I'm thinking bloody hell I'm doing the same job on a Saturday afternoon as these people are on the pitch but they've got so much more life experience than I have. So it's, it's knowing that and respecting it and, and trying to get as much of that knowledge as you can whilst enjoying it and whilst legging it around on a pitch, um, whatever game you're given. Because when you're doing exchange matches and then you come back from an exchange and you end up doing a second team game on a different week, it's, it's, it's a different challenge. And the main part is enjoyment. But the main the other part is, is respecting every single game. And it's a cliche, isn't it? Everyone says, oh... You gotta, you know, respect every game. We, you bloody well have, because some people are. It's the only game they play on a weekend, and that respect might be different because you might referee things differently, and you might turn to to close your eyes to one thing that you can't do at another level. But that's the art of refereeing, and that's why rugby is that unique sport where you can do that. Um, if you're playing a game of football or a game of tennis or cricket, it's either out or in. You either, you know, you you either you're either on the line or you're not. 
in rugby, we've got the breakdown, we've got the scrum, the line out where you can add your ability to, to the flow of the game in particular, in particular matches, which is so important when you want to watch something that's enjoyable, I think. Oh, 100% agree with that. I was just thinking, actually, um, you know, at what stage did you think you could make a career at refereeing? You know, was it, you know, because obviously you were climbing the, the levels uh, at such a, young age, such a young age. So you must have thought, you know, oh, actually, you know, if this keeps going, I could, you know, make something of myself doing this. Uh, yeah. Uh, 11 years ago, things were very different. The professional refereeing is still very new. Um, and professional rugby is still pretty new, isn't it? But you know, refereeing as such is, it was, it was, it was such a unique job at the time. And I just felt very lucky to be asked to, to be a trainee full-time at the start and then to get my full-time contract two years after that. Um, because I, I, like I said, at the start, I never intended it to be a career and I'm not, you know, naive enough to, to think that this is going to go on forever. You know, I'm 33 now. And if I, if I can get to, to mid to late forties doing the same job, then I'd have had a very good career at this level. Um, but you got to have, you know, you got to know that it's going to end at some point. And, you know, whilst my, my coffee shop, Whistle Stop Coffee, is never going to go on, it's not going to make its millions out the back of a van on River X. But if it develops something else and gives me a foot in the door somewhere else, then then that's great. And what you, what you can't ever do in professional sport, and, and refereeing included in that, is just resting your laurels and think, well, brilliant, I'm, I'm home and dry here. Because even if I get to 50, sadly, my you know, I, I never could afford to pay off my mortgage at that age. So I'll just keep, we'll keep on working for a few more years after that. Don't worry, I keep name dropping the coffee shop as well. Whistle stop. <laughs> I need, you know, it, needs a, it, needs, <laughs> it needs something. It needs a few name drops, I tell you. Okay, don't worry. With all our listeners, if they're in Devon and Cornwall this summer, they'll be stopping <laughs> off, don't you worry. Just, just, yeah, for a no chat, just for a chat with you. Look, um, you're, you're, I think, I believe, right, from looking, talking to our club historian, that your first game at level two was the London Welsh game against Manchester. Now, um, we beat Manchester 57-10. National yeah. one in March two thousand and nine. Do you remember yeah. that? Do you remember the I games? Do. do you? Gosh, I do. And if I remember rightly, um, it was late in the season. It was back in the day when National won before Championship. National, yeah. one, I think, had sixteen teams in. Um, and at the time, a Manchester were, who were you know such a big club at, at one point were slipping and they were falling down the leagues. And I always remember because I think they were bottom at the time. Um, and it was seen as a kind of dead rubberish game because I think Welsh were mid to low table, couldn't attain those top kind of places for those top four playoffs, I think it were at the time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was seen as a kind of dead rubber. And I always remember, you know, I refereed various different matches at Old Deer Park, but your first one sticks with you. And, and when you take that long walk down the steps and you feel like you're walking forever to get to the pitch it's definitely something that you can't forget that's for sure i'll tell you one thing they haven't serviced the showers in 12 or 13 years they're, yeah. still, they're, still, <laughs> they're still terrible but um, but look i think that game tom brown became the first london welshman since gerald davis to score five tries in a game so apart from it being your london welsh and level two debut it was special you know for that occasion as well look um I, you know i was going to ask you do you remember all your games but you must have like refereed like hundreds and hundreds of games but you must um remember the ones where you know so sort of the material ones where there was a major learning opportunity or the scoreline was close is, is would that be a, a fair argument definitely and i what i really enjoyed i'm sure where this is coming to gareth is uh, your conversation with lynn jones last week or the week before last <laughs> Um, I'm sure we'll touch on a sec, but Lynn's, Lynn's a great guy. And, you know, and you do always remember big matches. I think you remember something from every game. You may not be on the top of your head, but if someone says to you, oh, have you been to that ground? You'll remember something specific. 
Um, but it's, it's fair to say I definitely enjoyed my trips to Old Deer Park far more than I did to the Kazam Stadium um, for various <laughs> reasons. I'm sure we'll touch on surely. Now we will touch on that. But look, I think um, someone else, again, my historians give me loads of information. I sent some to you so you could sort of jog your memory. But um, yeah. something about a game uh, mostly against Coventry at the Butts Park Arena. You give it was a three penalty tries in local derby. Yeah, I think it was October or November 2009, I think it yeah. was. Um, yeah, look, it's, just, uh, it's one of those experiences I look back on now and, and smile, I guess, because um, you, you, you learn so much, like I mentioned earlier. Um, but what's sad is, is that, that that was close to turning me off uh, away from rugby. And I always remember, because I was at university at the time, and I was driving back down the M5 from Coventry on a late Friday night. It was a Friday night game. After getting stacks of grief, three, you know, three penalty tries, um, two of them were right. One was terrible. Um, driving back down the M5 in the rain after getting a shed of abuse, thinking, what the hell am I doing this for? All the lads are back home. You know, all the, all my uni mates are out on the beers, <laughs> enjoying a Friday night. And I'm up, I'm up here getting absolute stacks loads. Um, I was then sent to Russia the following week to do a, a playoff match. So it was quite a nice um, way to get out of the country for a couple of weeks. But of course, those things always stick with you. you know, they'll, they'll never leave you. And um, it's just a shame I never had the opportunity to buy the jug of beers in the clubhouse afterwards, but I'm sure I will get another opportunity, that's for sure. Look, you know, if, um, every ref, every, you know, at every level's made made mistakes and things like that, and you know, that's how you learn from them, I suppose. And that's how you are tweaking them when you review your games on a Monday and Tuesday. You talk about it, and that ha- helps you all be consistent then in the premiership, mm. doesn't it? So, uh, but look, you know, I think you, you refereed the ODP, ODP a few times um, for us, you know, a national one, and then... Sometimes it was, you, I think your last game was um, when we beat Bristol at home uh, in, in October in like 2010. And we did referee us at Isha um, in September because we don't get access to Old Deer Park because of the cricket sometimes. Cricket yeah, season, of course. E- even in the championships, so we had to get high up um, Isha for a Friday night game to play, to play there. So you, that was your last game refereeing us in the championship. But look, you, know, you, you know, you're on the Premiership and you've been in Premiership for 10 years now. So how high profile did the Premiership feel to you when you first started officiating it? Probably feels as high a profile it did then as it is now um, for various reasons. And, you know, you look at the Premiership um, back in 2010 and, and it was massive. I think I saw a clip um, on social media somewhere this week of when Sky was showing the matches and it, you only look at it and you see how big it was then and how to how big it is now is, you know, is something that, you know, hopefully was predicted and, and has gone exactly according to plan. But it's, it's the pinnacle of the English game, isn't it? Apart from internationals of um, involving England in the Six Nations and, and the internationals in summer and autumn, it's, it's, the, it's the pinnacle of where everybody wants to be at. Um, and, and that's refereeing included. So, we, you know, clearly it's our bread and butter. And, and for our referees and, and me in the Premiership, it's, it's, where we, it's where we earn our corn. You know, all the, the glamour bits of going away to Europe and, and being involved in internationals, if you're lucky enough, all stems from how you perform in the Premiership. Um, and I'm sure a few of the listeners will be wondering how on earth I ended up in the European <laughs> Cup or internationals after a couple of showings. But, um, you know, it's it's we certainly don't underestimate how difficult the Premiership is to referee in. And I don't think I'd be far wrong by saying that it's probably up there. It probably is the most difficult, continuous league to referee in because of the, the nature of how close every single game is. Yeah, this is a bit different with, with no relegation and that's possibly shown in a few of the results. But, you know, every single match is is not a given and you don't rock up anywhere thinking, oh, well, this team's going to win this um, because it's just, you know, as we see in the results, it's, it's just chaos and that just makes a referee's job even harder. 
And that's, it's very, very competitive at the moment. But look, you know, in the 10 years you've been refereeing in it, like what's changed the most for officials, do you think? Uh, social media. So the impact of social media, um, the impact of everybody being able to give their opinion on matches, um, whether whether they're, you know, whether they're a, a seen celebrity or whether they're a commentator or whether they're a, a journalist to, to, you know, average average person sat on the sofa watching the match. Um, the advent of social media, whilst clearly that has had a massive positive bearing on sport and rugby specifically in getting people involved, getting people interested, um, getting the revenue in the door, which ends up paying our salaries. Um, of course, alongside that comes the negative bit as well. Um, and it was great to see last week or two weeks ago now the um, the strive to, to get rid of that social media abuse, I guess they call it, um, which clearly there is, and it's obviously not acceptable. But it's if you look at the referee's role, you know, we used to judge or people used to judge how referees done by the newspaper cuttings the next day. Um, and it's no longer just the newspaper cuttings anymore because when you come off of a game, every single person who's watched that has normally given an opinion. Um, and, and that's where sport is now. And it's, I don't think it's going to go anywhere fast, you know, go, go, go away anywhere fast, but it's how we deal with that as referees. It's how people are aware of the impact that that causes when they write stuff on social media. Um, and of course, it's not just hammering the negative bits. Like I said at the start, it's brilliant. Like the attention rugby now gets when you come off a pitch, um, when you, when you, you look at, you know, if people look at social media, the attention matches to get is, is unbelievable. And that's a huge benefit because so many people are gaining access to it. But obviously that comes with, with people who want to get stuck in as well. And it'll be nice, Gareth, when people actually go back to stadiums and, and gather with their mates, have a few pints, watch the rugby, because perhaps it takes a few of those people who are potentially just a bit bored. Um, it takes yeah. their attention to watching rugby rather than just hammering people, including the refs. But it's part of the job. Of course it is. Um, and you get used to that and you've got to have thick skin as the old cliche says, but you know, when you get some messages that are just genuinely horrendous, um, there's no place for it. And that's definitely the biggest change since, since I've started professionally and probably in the last five years, more than the five years before that. And yeah, no, I agree with that. I suppose I was, I was, well, I'm, I'm glad you've answered it in that way, but I would have also thought like um, the, the pace, of the game, the, the sort of the, that you work now more as a team of four than probably would have done 10 years ago, the use of TMO and technology and the way the TMO comes into your ear a lot more and they sort of, you know, you know they'll say check, check or you know, the, the codes they use to ensure that you get like majority, if not all the decisions right in a match, do you know what I mean? So, you know, that, that's the thing I think um, that's changed yeah. from, a, from a viewer's perspective as well. Definitely. And, and if you only compare, you know, 10 years ago in rugby and TMO, it was probably a similar level to potentially where VAR is in football at the moment and the teething problems that everyone's experiencing. We're, we're far further down the line. We're now having experiences of refs being in the box for us. And, you know, I was, um, I was TMOing for Wayne in the last Six Nations. He was TMOing for me. And you get to work as that team, like you say. And when you're all involved in the same meetings and the same experiences and you're doing the same job, it's far easier to, to work as a close-knit team. And it's nothing against the part-time lads who were in before. It's just nature of something that happens when you spend more time with other people, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Uh, you talk about Wayne Barnes in the hut as, as Daniel Craig yeah, went for the Wales-France <laughs> match, yeah, the, the Bond villain or something, wasn't it? I think it was. But look, the, um, yeah. in the Premiership, you refereed us uh, um, our second game in the Premiership uh, against Harlequins, and then uh, you refereed that home match against Saracens, and you alluded to it earlier. Look, and what's your recollection of that match, Luke? Uh, probably one of the biggest learnings in my career. You know, first of all, clearly everyone's aware of the cock-up and 
um, I ended a game on a, on a reset scrum and I, and I shouldn't have. Um, that's clearly the law. And, and one of the basic parts that I took away from that is if you're going to be a professional ref, you've got to know your bloody law and you can't just, you know, waltz around the park, making a decent game and then get basics wrong. And, and sadly, I made the, that mistake in the premiership and everyone's going to make mistakes. And you just hope when you come through the system that you make mistakes lower down the levels than you do higher up because you get less attention. Um, but the, the main part and the biggest takeaway I always thought of that, and one thing that I didn't agree with with Lynn last week when he, he mentioned it was because, um, you know, Saracens were higher up the table and this, that and the other. It, that was nothing to do with it. You know, I wish I was intelligent enough to be thinking that at the time of the reset scrum. Sadly, I wasn't. Um, but the, the biggest takeaway I found was how respectful Lynn was in dealing with a pretty big decision that went against that, you know, against London Welsh. And they, who knows that they could have won. They probably would have won. We can't say for sure because we saw another scrum to play. But, you know, the respect that Lynn showed to me when I came off the pitch um, showed to me that there's no place for bullshit in refereeing and there's no place for trying to fob off crap. And if you made a mistake, sometimes as soon as you get in the change or the tunnel, and someone asks you a polite or question that's not screaming at you, as Lynn did. He just genuinely didn't lose his head. He just asked me a direct question. And I said, sorry, Matt, I've got, I, I got it wrong. I cocked up. I got it wrong. And the best thing he did, he shut the door, he said, thank you, and walked away. And, you know, I still see a lot of the old Welsh players now. Um, you mentioned Ed Jackson because, um, you know, the company I used to work for um, do a lot of work with his charities now. And that's where you learn, I think, the character you are and you make sure that, a, you don't try and do it again. And B, you know, you, you, you get to know the real qualities of decent rugby people, such as Ed, um, you know, such as Jonathan Mills, who was playing for Welsh at the time <laughs> and went on to play for Sale and other teams. And you see these people around later down the years. And I think it's a mark of both ways that you want to stop and have a say hello and have a chat with people. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's great. And it's great to see people like Lynn still involved at the highest level because, you know, they're the real true rugby people who have probably gone through everything um, from from resets from ending games and reset scrums to, to being involved in both areas, isn't it? So, yeah, it's certainly something that I'll never forget. Um, it's just a, a shame it happened, and you know, you just learn and hope that it doesn't happen again. But absolutely, it was I won't be forgetting that in a hurry. No, no, I appreciate you answering the question uh, as honest as you have. And look, that's the you know, as a supporter back then, you know, that, that's the feedback that, that some of the supporters got is you know that you you went in and you know, apologised straight away. You realised you made a mistake, and you know that's all you can do. You know, I don't think Lynn generally believes um, <laughs> that they are, they are a few behind you know asking you to do that and Saracens to you know benefit from it. Blah blah blah. I think uh, just a bit of um, tomfoolery, shall we say, by Lynn. <laughs> so um, that, that's all it is, I'm sure. But, um, but look, um, I, I'm sure you're you're aware that all the community referees, like myself, look up to top referees because we're you know every match is a learning opportunity to see how you communicate with the players, you know, um, and you know, and so and and just how you manage the games. And we might use some of those phrases in our games, even though it's like you know eight, seven or eight levels you know below that, it's still the same game, but it's played at different speed and skill. <laughs> so yeah. you're, you're obviously aware of that, and, and so uh, are you so when. When you're refereeing the games, do you, do you think of things like that at all? Or is it just probably just focused on the job in mind, and you know, and then what will be will be in terms of you know people's learning opportunities. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I'd say, Gareth, most of the job on your own when you're refereeing, you you focus on the big stuff. And to me, the big stuff is managing those players as I mentioned earlier, regardless of the level. So, and then you go back to how you manage people. 
sometimes you got to be a bit of a bastard and you got to you got to be very direct and a lot of the time the characters like me is it's more soft hands and, and trying to work with people rather than work against them of course you've got to flip between characters at times because that's the nature of the job um, but are we aware that the impact we have you know through the ladder of rugby absolutely and one thing that rugby is very unique and we cannot lose is that referee mic and having people be able to listen to everything going on. You know, last week I was refereeing at Bath and Bristol and, and Kyle Sinclair obviously had the, the unfortunate news that he wasn't on the Lions tour. Um, he was brilliant to work with, you know, and people were able to listen to our conversation and communication throughout the game. And at one point I had to, you know, try and say, mate, you can't speak enough like that. And then another point, the camera saw us having a, a really friendly, open conversation, which hopefully people look at that and go, blimey, that's, that's, that's where rugby, where it is. And we've got to make sure you make, we maintain that. Um, and not just refereeing down the ladder, but players also see that down the ladder and say, right, well, that's how the way how to deal with referees. Um, because we see enough and we see enough in-house of, you know, local areas where we have issues with referee abuse or maybe referees getting a bit ill-treated. And we've got to make sure that everybody, not just referees, but players, coaches, management, supporters, everyone sees how rugby should be played. And that's why we know we've got a responsibility at the top end to make sure we try and enforce that. You know, we don't get everything right. Of course we don't, but we definitely put a work in progress a few years ago to try and get it back in place. And Chris White, um, our deputy bosses is a big advocate of that and drives home every single week. If somebody is out of line or not just players, if one of us are out of line as well, because a lot of it comes down to how we talk to players. And if we talk to someone, like in any walk of life, if you talk to someone, if you talk to someone like a piece of shit, you're going to get a response pretty similar. Um, but it's just making sure that we, you know, we're aware of the impact that what we do on the pitch and the impact how we speak to people um, is seen in every single area of rugby and not just refereeing. Yeah, I watched that game actually, and I saw that instant. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's the key thing is you know, you're trying to help them to avoid penalising them and blowing your whistle. But you know, that, you know, helping both teams, so you're you're using your whistle less, I suppose, in a way, isn't it? So and the game can flow more. That's the key thing. Definitely, suppose, and of course, players are trying to get one up. Coaches are trying to get one up. Referees are there to try and referee the game. Yeah. But do we referee the actual law book every single phase of the game? Well, of course not, because we've got contextual judgment, um, and that's why people like watching rugby. If you if you didn't like watching contextual judgment, you'd see 60, 70 penalties a match, and that'd be no product to watch. And we wouldn't have the BT deal that we would, we wouldn't have professional contracts and referees. So that's the art of the game, isn't it? And that's why I think people enjoy watching it. No, definitely. Definitely. I was gonna ask you actually, but you know, when you're doing um, international matches, you've got the there's three sort of levels of communication now. I think you've got the players in front of you, the TV audience at home, and now even as you've got those people in the stadium who buy those um referee earpieces don't they so it's uh, yeah uh, do you, yeah is that um is that something that comes into your mind before a game or you just you just have to referee the game Luke, really, don't you and then what would be the tv hear you that's it isn't it you do and you have the referee of the game I, I, I always use a bit of an analogy that between whistle to whistle so when i'm actually refereeing live game my whole focus is clearly on that you know what is happening whether it be a tackle or a rut or a knock on or a scrum whatever it may be once the game is in downtime and I've got to make a really important decision, if it's a TMO review, whether it's, and this is not just selling difficult decisions either. This is selling anything. You know, it may be a collision that people might go, oh, God, that looked nasty or that should be a card. And I'm talking it as no foul play. Or it may be that I've got a red card, the most important team for the home, for the, for the home, player for the home team. Whatever I'm doing in downtime, I've got to sell it to everybody. And 
I always like to think of it as like people may not agree with a decision, but if they can go along with what I'm saying and they can understand my rationale or our, my team's rationale behind it, I'm going to get far more people following it. Um, you know, judgment is brilliant in rugby because some people will see something as a yellow, something as a red, something as a penalty. But if you've got a decent criteria, a decent process and a followable level of communication, I think people go, OK, I may not agree with it, but I can see why he's done it. Um, where we and I get most criticism in the past is where we haven't done that. And we just made a decision which we may absolutely think is correct in-house as a group of refs who all they do is chat about rugby and <laughs> discuss 80 minutes of a game. But the people watching on the sofa are the really important people because they're the ones who are putting the numbers into rugby and watching it. And we've got to make sure that A, we get new people involved and B, when they get involved, they understand what we're bloody doing because if we don't understand it, we're just going to make life hard all down the line. So it's just such an important thing to sell those decisions and, and make, make them followable, not right, not absolutely, you know, correct for everybody because nothing will be, but so that people understand it. To me though, I mean, the pace of the game is so quick and you're right. You know, when you hear the top referees communicating uh, so slowly and, you know, and the language they're using, it's getting, I know it's a lot of practice, a lot of training, that sort of thing. It's, it's, it's good. I once filmed, I had the GoPro on my chest when I refereed a community game. You think you're saying something quite slowly and is measured. You listen to it back and it, you're just talking so quickly. You know, that's, yeah. that's what, and obviously you've had lots and lots of practice and it, it's, um, you know, that's what a lot of the referees like myself will listen to. You watch the game for the referee and to see, and, and you, you communicate so um, purposefully uh, and so measured in what you're saying. It's a, it's a, it's a real skill, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so on a positive front, you did referee London Welsh in the in the championship playoff at the <laughs> Memorial Ground as well. So um, this is I did. That's I remember quite a I, memorable I, match there. Absolutely, I always remember that. Um, it was a hell of a night. And again, you know, the men Ashley Gate's very good now, but the men was awesome. I loved going there. Whenever you refed, and you got that tunnel in the corner. Um, yeah, it was just one of those games. If I remember, it was two legs. Was that the year? It was two legged final. This yes, is it the was, second yeah. leg. Um, I think Barnsley refereed the first leg in the rain at the, at the Kazam and then they went back to the Mem. Um, but that is those occasions, you know, I always remember those championship finals that I was involved in. They're, they're huge, you know, and I come from in a city where it's still probably, I know Exeter have won the European Cup in the Premiership, but still everyone talks about that night that Exeter won the championship at Bristol because they're the significant moments in any club's career where they get into that top flight. And, you know, it certainly won't ever lose from my memory those um, those occasions, that's for sure. No, no, definitely. Yeah, that was a great night for everyone that, um, who were London Welsh supporters anyway. Look, um, we sort of, I know we haven't got much long left, but um, in terms of um, the Six Nations, you refereed France against Wales. There's eight or nine million people watching on TV. That must have been your biggest match you know, to date in your career. I know you did the World Cup in 19, but sort of domestically and Six Nations wise, that was such a, such a huge match to be part of, wasn't it? Yeah, and and you know, you know, you know when you're on the way to Paris for a Grand Slam game that they don't come along very often, um, and we're lucky enough to have refs in our department that have been there and done it and got the t-shirt. You know, Barnsley's still going, um, even though we're trying to, even though I'm trying to push him out, he's still going. And, you know, he's someone that we're still chasing to because he's he's clearly the best. And when you're on the way to those kind of matches, you're aware that you don't get many cracks at him. And you've got to take in every single minute. And it's, of course, it's a bloody shame that the Stade de France wasn't full that night. But who knows? We, we may not have got the support on the telly that um, that you, you would do because there'll be people watching other capacities. But yeah, look, it's the biggest game to, to date to my career, probably. 
um, you know, not just for the for what happened in the match, because I think we had a bit of everything, but the significance of the game, um, the the reason of you know, no crowd in the middle of COVID, um, and then also, and, and probably more importantly, when I've got an all English team around me, in in I think Barnsley's TMO and, and Matt Carley and Christoph Ridley are on touch for me to then enjoy um, their company in the change room afterwards, um, let the dust settle, have a beer or two, ch- chat about the game and, and travel home and. Yeah, those are the reasons we do the job. Um, not every game's like that, of course, but it's uh, certainly certainly the, the reasons why you try to get to the top level. Um, and I think if rugby can produce more of those games, then we'll be in a great place in 23 World Cup. No, certainly. Do, do World Rugby then? Because oh, you're in a World Rugby appointment for that, I think. So do they do you review games um, with them? Or do, or do you yeah, do the so premiership? Yeah. Very, yeah, very similar system. So we'll spend, uh, we review ourselves and then we spend an hour or two on a Zoom call with, with one of the selectors, one of the one of the four selectors. And um, they, as a, as a group, they decide what they, they deem your performance as good, bad or ugly. Um, they go through the, the individuals and it's, and it's, it's quite simple. We base it off accuracy to start with, cause that's so, that's so important. Um, and then the, at the moment, the key focus areas, which is space, um, speed and safety, which is obviously a huge element at the moment. And if you can kind of get those three areas there or thereabouts, right alongside the accuracy, then it, it's, it's a pretty positive performance. And, um, you know that's often easier said than done when when you're in the heat of battle. But yeah, that's that's basically how long and short how it works. It's pretty transparent. It's a pretty open system, and um, you just hope that you you know you get a bit of luck and the game's uh, watchable and attractive, and players want to do and, and and put a good advert on because that definitely helps the ref. Uh, that was one of the best games that most people have seen in a long time. That game, France against Wales. So with a you know great finish. Not if you're Welsh, but look, it's a great finish, and uh, you know it was a superb match to watch. Look. Um, what does the end of the season look like for you? And have they allocated any sort of summer tests or European finals yet at all? Um, no, so summer tests will be done in the next few weeks. Obviously, they're normally done by now because we're normally, I think, at semi-final stage in the Premiership. But due to obviously everything being shuffled back, we're, we're still not there yet. Um, so summer appointments will come out next week. We, we have no idea yet about travel or who's going where. Um, mainly and probably more importantly because of um, COVID restrictions and we don't know where we can go and if we can get in and if we can get home. So the games are coming out now. I think, you know, most teams have announced their matches and England have got a couple at home and Wales are playing in Cardiff and Arnhem in Dublin. So, yeah, I hope to be involved with it. Um, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be doing the European Cup final next week um, at Twickenham um, with my English team as well, which is, which is great and will be another, you know, massive milestone in my career. Um, but it's, it's, it's great being appointed to it, but it's more important that you get the job done properly. And, um, you know, it's in the, t- in, the, in the days leading up to that, that's the most important part of the prep now. So, yeah, we'll see what happens in the summer. And then hopefully, you know, with, with 23 coming thick and fast, you know, we're only, what, two and a bit years away from another World Cup. It's important that um, stay on track and, and try and perform to be in that team again. Because, you know, if it was anything like Japan in 19, it was, it was an unbelievable experience. Um, so congratulations again, the European final. Are they won the 10,000 there watching you uh, uh, on the day? Do, do you think, obviously, both you and Wayne speak French, so that's a massive advantage uh, to be, you know, apart from being a top referee, but that obviously helps. With I'm glad, glad, you, glad you think I do speak <laughs> French. It's, um, 
yeah, it, that is. Well, you give it a go, yeah. though, Luke. <laughs> we do. We and we, you know, I had a few lessons. Um, we did have lessons every week when I was living in London and based at Twickenham. Um, sadly, you know, for budget reasons and everything else, like any like any other company, we had to pull back on a lot of things, and it was down to us to try and learn that. Um, now, one of the best things with French, if a lot of people have got a basic level of understanding, is if you're immersed in their culture and with French people, then you're going to learn a bit more and. I've always found when I'm in France, which is quite a lot in my job, is you just give it a good whirl and give it a go. Because if you can get that feedback from players, um, then, and again, it's not so much explaining decisions, it's managerial position. It's trying to manage and work with those players to the best ability. And there's nothing better than, you know, with two French teams when they're going out to each other, smashing the hell out of each other. And you try and, you know, calm something down with a little bit of French. They have no idea what you're talking about. Everyone looks at you and smiles. But even that, you've killed that moment and you've got rid of that any animosity, which is, you know, any way that you can manage a game is it's not right or not wrong, as long as it has a desired effect. And if using that a couple of French words helps, well, if it has another string to your bow, then fantastic. But it's important mainly that the accuracy of the game is right and how you add on to that using a couple of French words is, is, is even better. Um, but yeah, so it's down to the it's, it's back to the podcast for the next couple of weeks because I need to learn a few more. That's for sure. Yeah, no, no, good luck with it. Well, look, just finally, um, what would be your advice to anyone contemplating taking the refereeing or people who referee at the community level? Um, referee as much as you can. You know, get out there and enjoy it. Like, it's not about it's easy, isn't it, when you're a professional ref to say it, but it's not about specifically refereeing the highest level of match you can. Um, of course, that will come if 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 you've got the ability and others think that, you, that you're good enough. But the enjoyment that you get from running around with people who just want to be out there throwing a ball around and enjoying a game of rugby is, is brilliant. Um, my biggest bit of advice is if you, you know, try and get the train to a game if possible, because it's always more enjoyable, I found, if you can get the train <laughs> home after rather than sitting and driving for three or four hours. Um, because almost every rugby club that I've been into has been such a welcoming experience. You know, that's the reason I'm talking to you tonight is that, you know, London Welsh to me was always such a welcoming club. Um, and whether what, whatever position you're in, however many cock-ups you'd made, whatever you had done, it, it was always had the real, real rugby culture behind it. Um, and obviously it's great to see them climbing back up the leagues now and that will continue and hopefully we'll see it back at the top flight in the near future. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's definitely that's my biggest bit of advice is get out there and just enjoy it. Oh, great stuff, Lou. Look, you're a busy man. I appreciate that you get up so much of your time tonight to speak to our club podcast. Um, there's a welcome at Old Deer Park anytime you want to come for a pint or to officiate any match at the club. So, Luke, yeah, say good luck with all your, your refereeing this summer and all the best of the future. Thank you. Thank you, Gareth. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.